welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film is Sunset Boulevard, directed by Billy Wilder, starring William Holden and Gloria Swanson. My name is Cameron Tuttle, and I'm joined with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, how are you doing? I am actually pretty mediocre. <laughs> like, I just, I, I, I mean, we're recording on Monday. Uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Today at work was pretty bad. I was like, Ugh. I just had like a bad day at work. So um, it was like one of those days where I was putting my full effort forward, you know, and uh, I even stayed late um, to like have some conversations and maybe, maybe just got to know when to call it quits. But um, yeah, I, it was kind of like, I don't know. I was just sort of... Um, defeated when i got home and i was like great gotta, gotta do the show today so uh i guess i'm saying forgive me if i'm a little more cynical but overall mm-hmm. you know life is actually it's it's just one bad day in a group of many good days so yeah um yeah. it's not a huge deal i feel like i'm kind of coming around now that i've had dinner you know i think my mood will progressively swing throughout uh this episode but um, that was actually not my my planned response. I was gonna say that it's been haunting <laughs> me because um, I I was like, what do I want to say? Uh, I've been like wanting to quote this movie that we watch, um, specifically mm. the line about the pictures are too small, but I can't remember yeah. like the quote. So I'm always like, she, she's I'm like, bigger <laughs> than. Well, hold on, and I just have not. It's like I've had like this conversation in my head all week. Like trying to quote it, and I've never said anything in front of anyone. Actually, yesterday, Cameron, when we got dinner, <laughs> I was trying to think of how to say the line, and I just never said anything. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, what is it? She's she says, uh, um, uh, she she says, "I'm still big. It's the pictures that got small." Hey, that's what she yes, says. Yeah. that's it. Yeah, that yeah, is yeah, totally yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> I yeah, because he says he says you uh, oh you you're Norma Desmond you used to be big um, yeah and she says I'm still big yeah a lot of a um, lot of great lines from Norma Desmond in this movie very true yeah. very true um, um, well I'm I'm you know it it I will say we did get dinner last night we had fun we had a good time. So, um, sorry to hear that today didn't go so well. But it is Monday, you know. Mondays, they could be rough sometimes. They really can't. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I did all the right things. You know, like I didn't mm. wake up, you know, terribly miserable. I was like, <laughs> I got the coffee. You know, I'm kind of awake. I'm on the road. Have my podcast. You know, took some time to breathe before getting started with work. And then, like, work, like, halfway is pretty good, but I think I made the mistake of, like, I'm not going to take a break. Like, I'm just going to keep going. Mm. And then, like, through, like, at the end of the day, I was like, man, <laughs> just, I'm beat, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. and I think probably a couple conversations broke me, and that's always how it goes. So, um, sure. yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's all good, though. Again, like, I, I, you're getting me on the tail end of, of honestly, a pretty good month because um, I feel like January's been slow in a good way for me. And I know I was mm. saying that to you, Cameron. How about you? How's I, I? Hopefully, you had a much better day than I did. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, today has been a lot of not doing too much. I, you know, 
I watched the movie. Uh, I was kind of hanging out. I had more or less a free day ish. Um, you know, sometimes I get jobs that end up canceling, and so you know, um, I get a free day. But uh, tomorrow, I'm you know got to commute pretty far, so it is what it is. But I'm I'm prepped for that, and uh, you know, all all good to go. Are you one um, of those like cr- like chronic planners when it comes to big trips and stuff? Because I've noticed the older I get, the more I'm like, I'm literally going to pack everything at the door. So in the morning, like, I'm good. To get. <laughs> I know that's, like, crazy. But, like, I'll, like, no, no, no. pack my bag and stuff. And That is actually um, what I do, what I end up doing, because I, I know that I'll forget something if I take it out of my bag. Um, but it's more so I, I have, like, a kit. You know what I mean? And I don't – everything lives in the kit. And so if I and that's why I end up buying doubles of things sometimes because I'm like, well, this is my X kit. And if I don't have this kit, then I'm going to take it out and I'm going to forget it. So I need like I bought the same headphones that I'm wearing right now because I needed one <laughs> in my in my kit. Otherwise, I would take it out to do the show and then I would leave it and then I'd be out of headphones and it's just a disaster. You know what I mean? So it's like it's like one of those things where I'm like, I'm not. I'm not chronically planning um, like I have a checklist to go through, but I am planned in ahead so that I can not think about it when I leave. I could just br- grab my bag and then leave. That's you know Yeah, I mean? that's been like one of my like the one way is to like combat just morning anger or frustration for yeah, me. Yeah, 100%. Like literally going as far as to be like these are the pants I'm going to wear. Like everything's just like pre-planned because I'm much more of a night person. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I can't think straight in the morning. So, um, but I still always end up forgetting something. So I don't know. Yeah. That's just the way it goes. Um, but there we go. Life yeah. tips for you. I don't know why I went on that tangent. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm glad you had a slow day. Cameron. Have you been watching anything or, um, no. So not too much since last week. Um, I am going to watch the, Next episode of The Last of Us right after we finish recording. So mm. um, that's going to be my uh, my nightcap, as it were. But um, yeah, I have I've really haven't been watching too much. Um, watched a little bit of The White Lotus, the newest season. But other than that, yeah, we're kind of just chipping away. Uh, me and Kiana are. So, you know, that's it. Cool. Yeah, I haven't watched the new episode yet either, but I've heard that the reception is still very positive. Yeah. Um, so excited to check that out. I may or may not watch that tonight, but I'll have more to report on it. Um, hopefully we can at least do, or we'll, we can loop back on that um, next week. But as far as movies go, I haven't been, I haven't been watching too much. Like Juliana is more of a TV person. So she likes to watch her shows. And sometimes I'm like, I don't know. Sometimes I'm not as, interested to sit and all like kind of like come in and out of a lot of the tv shows she's watching um gray's anatomy right now which is kind of you know it's it's just like fun po- uh like popcorn tv i guess you could call it right um so I, i've been in and out like watching that here and there but i'm not too engaged with it um even though juliana would like would like you to believe i am no i am not <laughs> Um, actually I, she always asks me like what my favorite character is. And I say the same character that I know she doesn't like that much on the show and it drives <laughs> her nuts. Like, uh, but it's just, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I haven't, haven't had a ton of time to watch 
too much, um, but I feel like most of my marinating on what I've watched has gone into the movie we're going to discuss, which is a movie we've reviewed, uh, and yes. we will get into that in just a second. Of course, you can support the show at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. Throw a couple dollars our way. Get some benefits over there. Uh, every dollar helps our small production kind of continue, and we appreciate your time. We appreciate you if you can just listen, even if you don't have the financial resources. We get it. Sometimes are tough right now, and uh, we just appreciate you being here listening. Uh, we're thankful that we have the audience that we do, and we appreciate your support. And if you don't have the dollars, like we'd still love to get a message from you. Send us a message on Instagram. It's under ECFS Productions, all the same. We have a Facebook. We don't really check that. You can tweet at Cameron and I. Um, I don't even remember your your handle, Cameron. I just recently went on Twitter, and it's been a nightmare. Uh, <laughs> I've been trying to fix my feed, like mm, just literally yeah. saying, I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. And for some reason, the only thing that exists on my feed now is like fights, like like public conflicts between people. Sure. Uh, and I'm like, I don't want to see this. But I also don't really want to like say I don't want to see it, you know? Uh it's weird. So Yeah, Twitter's kind of a hot mess. I I find um well, you know, I I have a I have a mostly secret account. Um so I don't I don't give it out. Uh but um I actually my first account got <laughs> Why banned. Why would you even say that? Why would you even say that, Cameron? Um, well, nobody's going to find it. Nobody's going to find it. Yeah, but now um, some but people are going to want to know. That's the one that I that I end up checking most often. Oh, okay. But my other, yeah, my other Twitter account got banned. So if you reason. want to get a hold of Cameron, don't. That's basically what he said. Yeah, don't. Yeah, don't. <laughs> if you want to say something to him, you can reach out to me. I'm, you know, <laughs> it's fine. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, the ratings, all that stuff helps the show grow. Cameron, give us some context of wow, why are we talking about this movie for the second time? This is a first time for the podcast. It is, yeah. Um, well, this was our second episode of the podcast way back in the day. I don't even know when we started this. Was it 2020, I think? Sounds right, yeah. Um, yeah, so we recorded this episode, you know, right directly after we recorded our um, our Breathless episode, which you, and you know, you and I both hate Breathless. Uh, I think it's not a stretch to, to say I was kind of torturing you for the first one but i wanted to give you the flip side uh in our second episode by showing you something that maybe had a little bit more merit something that was a little easier to digest i would say and give you a little bit of a taste of um you know older classic cinema um things that are that are kind of you know have still have some life in them in terms of of their cultural relevance i mean i think you know Everybody knows the the very famous last lines, um, and I think there is something still, you know, slightly cultural, uh, culturally relevant about you know the the final moments of the movie. Um, but it, for the most part, I think people of our generation don't really know about this movie that much. Um, it's not like, you know, it hasn't it hasn't really been grandfathered in like some of the other movies that we've watched on this show, um, maybe in the film buff community, but but not. Not generally in the wider culture. Um, but I wanted to revisit this movie, and we talked about it a little bit last week. I wanted to revisit this movie because I think it's one that we, you know, we touched on, we had a good conversation about, and 
now going through and watching a lot of Wilder movies, um, having a little bit more experience with with black and white movies and with you know this older Hollywood style and of you know specifically Wilder as a as a filmmaker, um, I think it gives you a little bit more of a of a context in terms of reevaluating this movie. And if I'm remembering right, it wasn't like you still had some hangups about the fact that it was old um, and that it was, you know, a, a black and white movie. Um, but you did actually like it, I think. Um, I don't think you hated the movie uh, when we when we originally watched it. I think you were just kind of annoyed because it is an older movie. It, you know, there are things, there are some hurdles that hopefully we've jumped over at this point in the show. So I thought it would be an interesting candidate to revisit um, to rewatch and maybe, you know, think over some of those, um, you know, those n- not quite as deep criticisms for maybe more um, thorough criticisms of, of the film in general. So uh, that was kind of the, the idea about this, you know, reevaluation. And I don't know. We, we talked a, a little bit about it last night at dinner, but I'm curious to get your take on if you uh, if you like this movie more or if you kind of like this movie less as you have you as you've thought about it, you know, in the context of watching all those other movies. Um, yeah. What, what's your thought about that? Yeah, no, I, I think it's really cool to be visiting a movie that I don't have the clearest memory of when reflecting on all the different films we've watched and to also visit uh, a film that is well known from one of my favorite directors Wilder which we've covered and I became a, a like a pretty big fan of his work um, over the course of doing this entire show yeah I'm trying to fully recollect my emotion watching this film I think I was a little fired up about black and white movies after breathless and I had a bone to pick <laughs> Sure. I remember this film being much more like like f- like fueled with an emotion that was kind of up and down like high peaks and low valleys when I was watching it the first time because I think I was really taken back by some of the more creative maneuvering that the plot rolls you through as a viewer, right? It kind of has this weird slow start rolls you into a little bit of a horror aspect. Um, but there's like a Adam's family sort of driven like haunt to it. Or, uh, what's that Halloween Christmas movie? You know what I'm talking Nightmare Before Christmas kind of like energy in the house. Um, there's a lot of meta points that can be made about Hollywood back then. And it still like resonates in today's like Hollywood, Uh, that you can kind of lean into. And then there are some fantastic, like, dialogue moments and character scenes and very striking um, shots and compositions with it. And so I think watching it the first time, I was either overwhelmed or underwhelmed. And I remember kind of having this approach of, like, well, it's still a black and white movie. I, I, I didn't like it at that much for it being such an iconic name. So I feel like the name of this film, Sunset Boulevard is much more well known than the actual contents of the movie. Yeah. Um, And that was coming from an experience of watching, you know, barely any black and white movies at that time. Right. 
obviously revisiting it, I have a much different knowledge of what these movies kind of feel like. And I think I was taken back in how much more linear my emotional feeling about this movie was on the second viewing. Um, and I was more able to take in, I guess like mechanical decisions that were put around the filmmaking. Um, not that I'm like an expert filmmaker or anything by watching movies. I don't, I don't think that's what I'm trying to get at, but there just seemed to be moments where the, on the first viewing, I was like, that was kind of weird with the monkey. And on this viewing, I was like, I can't really, I can't believe how much I missed with, um, kind of this, the cinematography and the way that, um, the setting really like brings to life a story and how, mm. like how much detail is put into all the surrounding, um, elements of this film. And so, yeah, I, I, what's weird is that back then I probably would have said I knew a lot more about cinematography than I knew. And then watching it now, I'm like, I miss so much of what mm. is actually like masterfully put together here. Uh, but I will say there was something about that first viewing that I felt more passionate about uh, and more excited about. Whereas this one, I do think that I have a personal subjective like ick towards Hollywood conversation. I think a lot of this movie leans into that. Um, and I, But I also did really value some of the performances like double, triple over because of the context I knew from our first episode uh, with Norma Desmond's character being acted by a real silent actress who this is like her first what talking film appearance. Is that right? Yeah, I think I think it was one of her, uh, maybe her only um, her only talking appearance, I, I, th- I think. Yeah, because um, she she basically didn't didn't do that much. Um, you know, in the thirties. So, yeah. And then her assistant Max also having experience being a director and, um, the great scene at Paramount where the director is there, like him being a real life director as well. Like there, there are, um, some genuinely surprising acting triumphs in this movie, I think. And did you notice there's, you know, there's a couple little cameos along with them, um, one that, you know, I was, I was hoping you might pick up on, but he does look kind of different and it, it might take you a little bit, but, um, one of the, br- the bridge players is Buster Keaton, um, who we watched a couple of his movies. I uh, his was going to say, I think I might've noticed that Buster yeah. Keaton was in this movie. I was like, <laughs> wait a second. Why does that guy look so familiar? I actually yeah. thought he was a different character asking about the car on the Paramount lot for a second. But no. I don't think it was him. Uh, so I don't know. I I noticed a few characters on there that I was like, those faces look more familiar than they than they should be, right? Um, on this viewing. So yeah, I think. Um, like I feel like I really have stepped back on this viewing and kind of seen the whole picture, and about like. I'm trying to re-describe my experience watching it because I, I really was kind of bored by the beginning of this movie. Um, it was like I was just waiting to see the the part with the house again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the setup, I think, is a little bit um, like you're not quite sure where it's going or why it's mumbling on and on. And then some 
like from there it, it actually begins to pick up once they get to the house and and there's a lot of uh there's a lot of like interesting moments as you know the the um the lead character and Norma Desmond's character like start to have this very unhealthy um kind of toxic relationship of taking and like who's really taking from who you're not really sure as the drama begins to ramp up right um there's i i think like what was weird as i was watching it and i was like okay i can appreciate the mechanical side i don't like really love the pacing and then the movie really just begins to like remind you why it is an iconic important film um especially towards the end with uh just all those the the great scenes um <laughs> with Norma Desmond she like really comes to life in the last third of the movie yeah um and uh the the last thing that i wanted to also shout out with kind of the context of watching more black and white films is that while there has an impressive way to modernize uh dialogue despite it being so old uh, I think that is abundantly clear in this film that even though they still talk like a black and white movie, it's like a step more approachable, which I think is extremely difficult uh, to do in your time to have a movie speak and sound somewhat like relatable to its audience. What? Like, what would it be like 60 years later 70 70 years at the 70 73 years, years yeah yeah it's um i feel like not only is that impossible for most people but it is impossible to do and i think wilder got very close uh with his approach i think some of his other movies are a lot better um mm-hmm. at it i noticed that there's some dialogue in this movie that that like doesn't age as well and whenever they would lean into some of those old vocabulary words like jalopy or something like that like you'd you kind of like oh like that kind of took me out for a second um whereas some of other uh, uh, the other wilder movies that i've watched like i mean in my opinion you know we talk about the apartment a lot the apartment to me is like i don't know how it stands the test of time i'm not sure if it's the story that makes you forget what you're hearing or uh, the way that the writing is is modernized, but I've e- even uh, I actually think Witness for the Prosecution has dialogue that somehow translates because it's in the court of law, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. for some reason it's more proper uh, because um, dialogue was written differently back then that it kind of just makes sense in your brain when you're watching it. Um, but I was still impressed with how this movie handled its its dialogue. It, it feels so forward thinking. Um, with a lot of the things that it does and um, even style even stylistically I think it's extreme it's extremely forward-thinking like I, I mentioned sort of the haunted mansion vibe that some people really like that gothic high shadow like light cutting through sections and there's like all this you know stone work like Greek like pantheon looking stuff mixed in with like caged, you know, Catholic church stuff going on. I don't yeah, know. All I, the, all the pictures and kind of the candles around and, you know, very, very odd. I think, I think one of the things that makes it, um, 
kind of unique and approachable in terms of the decor and and the set and how it's how it's laid out in this like gothic way is that I think it was trying to go for a very old and cathedral like style in its day. And so now, you know, 70 years later, it still looks old, still looks cathedral like and maybe even more so because it's, you know, taking an old style from, you know, the point of view of the 50s. Um, and sort of exaggerating that a little bit. And now we get even even sort of more of that um, feeling. Like this is, th- this house is basically impossible in LA at this point. You know what I mean? Like this would be, if you walked into this house, you would think you're you're on the uh, the Disneyland lot. You know, you, you'd think you, you walked into the Haunted Mansion. And that, that really is kind of what it, what it has this feel of. And so I think, I think, you know, that, um, that is so effective. And also I think just the general creepiness of some of the, um, some of the finer details, like the fact that she has all of the doorknobs taken off the, the doors. It's yeah. just really a really creepy, um, moment, um, a really creepy realization for the, for the main character and for you. Um, and I, you know, there's there's a couple of other things that that you know are are very strange, um, and make you feel this sort of uncanny um, feeling of of things being not not so right. Um, you know, stepping into a world that that is kind of locked away, ghostly, um, and you know, deep in the past and kind of forgotten about. Um, which I think is really what it's trying to evoke is this sense of forgottenness and maybe um, Norma as as sort of the ghost of the past um, being dug up in a sense um, and and retread on from you know from the point of view of of the characters and and also for us. So I think I think an old movie about um, how things age poorly. It's kind of an interesting angle, right? You know, it's one of those things that gives this movie a lot of layers and a lot of depth. Um, and I think a lot of staying power is that it's commenting in, in some sense on its on its own legacy, um, on Wilder's legacy, on what Hollywood does to people who, who have kind of um, been left behind and forgotten. Um, and by throwing in, you know, real people who have been affected by this... Um, system of kind of discarding the past and moving forward it's another one of those reminders of of this being you know not just kind of inside baseball on on hollywood but also being a little bit more relevant to the lives of the the people who are kind of making this film i guess um and and i think that's one thing i want to talk to you about now that you have some some perspective and you kind of have some knowledge about wilder as an artist and as a filmmaker, I, I, I'm not sure if you remember our talks about him as a um, as a Norma Desmond type character, in that he was someone who made a huge impact on Hollywood and made some of the all time great movies um, in you know in his day, and eventually he was kind of shafted by the system. Um, and he was, he was basically called, you know, he, he, like Hollywood left him behind 
in the same way that they left Norma Desmond behind. And I just think this is a really interesting, um, um, I don't know if it's like, you know, uh, life imitating art in some ways, or if it's sort of this, um, uh, poetic irony, or maybe even just, um, a self-fulfilling prophecy on, on Wilder's part. But, um, I don't know. Do you have any any kind of thoughts on that? Because that that was what I was mainly reflecting on in this revisiting, um, because we did talk about that a lot in in terms of his own career and how I I personally think it's it's like a tragic story in his own mind and the fact that he he kind of remakes this movie in the waning ages of his you know older experience. He he kind of goes back to this idea. And he's instead of commenting on the the problem, he's more so the butt of the joke in you know the the second version, which is called Fedora, by the way. If anybody wants to see it, it's not very good, but um, I don't know. Yeah, do you have any any thoughts about that? I guess. Yeah, you know i I didn't really see this movie as. A direct like reflection on Wilder's own personal career. Something about it feels a little bit more um, like like calling out an injustice that is clearly around him, you know. And the only reason I say that is because I'm looking at right now, kind of the collection of different films that we watched by him. Trying to figure out where, where um, the apartment is because I don't know. Nineteen sixty. Nineteen sixty. Yeah. Um. Oh, that covers the worst cover I've ever seen for a movie. I think <laughs> that is like so inaccurate to what the movie is. Uh, <laughs> but so this movie came out in nineteen fifty. We watched Ace in the Hole, which is nineteen fifty one, um, which is kind of I don't know. I think there's a part of it that kind of continues the conversation from this film and that yeah um, about show business or profiting off somebody's demise right uh witness for the prosecution is 57 uh some like it hot is 59 the apartment is 1960 um so i do think that maybe any cynicism towards his rejection in hollywood is actually more seen like there's a more personal element in his later movies, I think. Um, Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm not, I'm not trying to suggest that this is like, he's, he's reflecting on his own um, experience. I'm saying that he kind of, he kind of makes this movie his life in the end. Um, Oh, oh, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. I, I mean, I think the heart that rings, strong in this film is actually the surprising sympathy that you have for Norma Desmond, Mm -hmm. but also sort of the arm's length care that you end up developing for her. Um, Because she's tragically like chewed and spit out, but also extremely unrelatable with her wealth and her success. And she's so egotistical that you don't, really like want to associate yourself with her. Um, and I think that's why the greatest film in this 
or, or the greatest moment in this film is is the scene with the mill on the Paramount um, lot. Because yeah. I think it sums up to me. It's it's better than the ending of the movie. Um, I think it's like those the small murmurs of someone's success and how quickly that goes. You know, uh, as soon as the spotlight is removed, like that entire scene is like um, layered with so much drama and like heartbreak. I think, and what makes it even worse is that like. Um, Norma Desmond's character is completely unaware of how she has been like chewed out or like just like spit out by this machine, right? And the reason she's unaware is because she's so obsessed with herself, right? Yeah. And I think what I really appreciated about Wilder's portrayal of her character is how complex it is and how, um, unrelenting it is to her her negative sides of her character but how clearly apparent he's shown the studio to be uh right or or the or the system and i think what makes it even more confusing <laughs> looking at it is that this is a paramount picture and um <laughs> it's like i'm just kind of confused like where or how they're landing on on certain elements uh in this movie because of that but, well, it know, didn't go so well after. <laughs> it, so this movie was a success. It was a very successful movie. Um, it won, you know, a handful of awards, and it was pretty. Um, I, I think it won best screenplay um, at the time, and so you know, got nominated for for Oscars and whatnot. And it was a box office hit, um, but I think. Paramount saw it as kind of a big slap in the face and they actually didn't think that it was going to do very well. So they, they put it out anyways, um, kind of actually thinking that it would tank wilder. Um, but the, the fact that it didn't really was another big slap in the face. Um, and, and he never worked with Paramount. I think. I actually, he had a he. From what I remember, he had a deal with Paramount that was, um, you know, a multi-picture deal. And so his next two movies had to be made with with Paramount. But basically, they were like, after that, you're finished. Essentially, you're, you know, because it because it was seen as this kind of, um, I don't know, as this kind of like like biting the hand that feeds, um, because it is such a criticism of Hollywood and of the studio system and is kind of is kind of very critical of how they treat um you know older stars and and how they they've they kind of turn their back on them um but in some ways you know I, I'm I'm a little bit uh it's kind of interesting because I I see this almost from both sides. I think, I think you're right that it is very sympathetic to, to Norma. Um, but I think it's also really sympathetic to, to DeMille. Um, maybe not so the studio execs, but they're, they're not really given, they're more set up as roadblocks and not so much as characters. Um, but I think the, you know, the kind of interesting part is, is how DeMille, yeah, he, he is kind of, backstabbing Norma in a way but he also describes her as like such a talent and such a brilliant person but only if she didn't have so much fame and such an ego um you know she'd be 
she'd be great to work with again. You know, it's just this as a roadblock. And I think they do kind of, I think the one thing that, that Wilder does, um, that is maybe, maybe not a slap in the face, but is kind of dissing Hollywood in some ways is he, I think he centers the fact that Norma isn't as beautiful as she once was as kind of the main reason why people don't look at her anymore. Um, that's what she thinks about herself. And I think that's, he, he kind of implies that that's what the studio thinks as well. Um, you know, nobody's going to want to watch a, an old lady on screen again. You know, it just doesn't work. And no matter how iconic your face once was, it's no longer that. Um, but I, I think in some ways, you know, he, he kind of tries to skirt around it with that line of, of her being, being difficult to work with and kind of her, her own, you know, huge narcissism as being the problem, which I think it probably, you know, that's probably accurate too, in that a lot of these stars who, you know, ended up being, you know, he said that she, she was a star from 17, you know, she was basically plucked out of obscurity, thrown onto the big screen, given all this fame and then forgotten about in the matter of, you know, a, a decade or two decades or whatever. Um, and that, that did happen, um, in, in the studio system. And that did happen a lot where stars were kind of, um, given a ton of fame and given a ton of praise and um, attention and then were moved on, you know, based on the fact that they aged out of the role or even just the fact that they couldn't do what they were, the studio was needing at the time, which was that transition between silent films to, to talkies. So I think he is, I think the portrayal is, of of Hollywood is complex, even if um, he is taking shots at them. I think it's not just the fact that that they're shallow. I think there is like some 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 more um, nuance into that that conversation because you know if I mean you have to remember that he is a part of Hollywood at this time and. It isn't really until after this that he starts to become wholly disillusioned with Hollywood. And I think this movie is is sort of one of those eye-opening moments for him of being, you know, cast out after after biting the hand that feeds, essentially. So Yeah, I, I think what makes this movie's conversation around Hollywood special is that it is it feels grounded it feels real and it straddles this complexity that i think i haven't seen in most movies that are about hollywood i don't like movies that are about hollywood that's probably one of the knocks against this film in my head right um i just i just it feels so like egotistical and obnoxious to me and I think the coolest thing about this movie is that it doesn't just say that Hollywood is evil, right? Uh, it shows the damage that it did to an individual to inflict maybe some opinions or thoughts on the use uh, on the viewer's part. But I I also love the inclusion of, you know, the scene with 
um, DeMille, which I think is excellently acted and it shows kind of the excitement of the, the Hollywood set. But even furthermore, the inclusion of like the underbelly of Hollywood with the New Year's party and the writers on the side that are friends um, with Joe throughout the movie where you get to see all these people who are like not the big shots in Hollywood, living it up, loving the hustle for, you know, creating something that they believe in, right? And then kind of to mirror that experience is Joe who's washed up and honestly kind of just like negative about everything and what's best for him would be to probably leave and yet he finds a way to leech onto this disillusioned star who's very rich and he hates himself for it but he also can't get enough of it right and his um his his Neglect for what's really good for him bites him in the butt at the very end. I think what's interesting about Joe's character is that you 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 get to witness someone who you feel bad for at first um, suddenly turn into someone that is very sad as well, right? I I think you're you you kind of pity him, but you're also like you're not really helping anything. You know, you're, you're kind of making uh, most things worse and blaming everyone around you. Right. Yeah. And, and his own, his own behavior, you know, you, you get to the, there's that one point, um, or, you know, right after the, um, right after the, the new year's Eve scene, you know, he leaves and, and he's just like, I got to get out of there. And then she ends up, um, you know, very manipulatively attempting suicide and, and, you know, roping him back in. Um, but there's that sense of like, oh no, like why, um, like he put himself in the position of, of being, you know, roped in by her in some ways. Um, and then, you know, after that point is, is basically fully in and fully committed to the, um, to the the codependency of this situation um where he doesn't want her to kill herself because she she feels you know he feels bad or is you know motivated in some way um and she is you know ultimately manipulating him into staying and so you you kind of get the sense of like oh like you should have just left you know there's there's no like this is um like that that was your time to bail basically and he doesn't um and so even if you feel in somewhat sympathy for him as a character you know you you always have this nagging feeling of like he did put himself into this position and he was trying to take advantage of her in the beginning too so right right i just i think it's amazing how they could capture so much of like the excitement of Hollywood in a positive light mixed with um, the rejects of Hollywood that are extremely unsavory uh, characters, very selfish, self-driven people. Um, And then I think what's also kind of weird is that like the people that aren't like that are in the system that are older, 
Um, they're not great people, but for some reason they're still that like, you can tell that there's something about them that still like loves the craft, you know, the director, uh, at the Paramount, uh, DeMille and even the exec who's, you know, he's just not easy to work with, but he's like, he kind of is a boss with the scripts. He's like, yes, no, yes, no. You know, like, yeah. it's like, he's not like a bad character. I like what you said. He's more of a roadblock. Um, cause he's bought into the system. Right. I, uh, I think that this movie is obviously saying a lot about Hollywood then and now, uh, which I think is just major hats off to what this movie is doing. Um, do I think it's the Wilder movie you need to visit first? No. Do I think that people know the name and don't know the movie? If you're into movies, like you should watch this movie, you know, like I think, um, especially if you've already watched a couple of black and white films, don't let it be like the second black and white movie that you've intentionally <laughs> sat and watched. Um, but you know, like kind of like ease your way into, into this one. I think it could be one of those early on films for you. Right. Um, it's, it is really good. Um, I'm glad we revisited it. I feel like I got a lot more out of it the second time. I think our analysis of it and what it's trying to say is more about what dumb Isaac felt when he watched the movie and more about what makes this movie special. Um, I don't know, Cameron, is there anything else you want to go over with this movie in terms of like revisiting it or any ideas about like, um, what does it mean for you to like have this conversation with me after doing, uh, like after doing so many movies and coming back to this one, because, and I'll, and I'll just add this one thing before handing it over to you. I, I do think my view on this movie has improved as we did the show more and more without me watching it Yeah, and to revisit it. It was like going back to, a four star restaurant that you went to and you weren't, you had a stomach ache the first time and you ate there and you're like, that was good, but my stomach still hurts, you know? And then you're like, but I've always wanted to go back. You go back. You're like, I don't have a stomach ache this time. It's yeah. This place is awesome. Um, I don't want to come here like often. Maybe it was like an hour drive, you know, but uh, it's, it, it was good to be back there. You know, um, that's kind of where I'm sitting at it now but is there anything else you want to like kind of bounce off as like a retrospective on this yeah well i i do think it's interesting because um i like what you said about like getting more detail out of the movie and getting sort of some of those finer points that maybe you missed um originally because of the distraction of uh you know it being an old movie and it being in black and white and and I guess my my only thing that I will add to this conversation in terms of you watching a movie like this is personally I think it can be really valuable watching a movie not just once or twice or three times but I think there is a value of re-evaluating and re-enjoying a movie that you've seen before. Um, and I think one of the things that we don't <laughs> do so well maybe on this podcast is um, the the granularity of some of these, you know, 
things that we pick up on in the fifth time we watch a movie um, is very different from our first just blank experience of, uh, you know, sitting down. We have never experienced this movie. Okay, let's just evaluate it as we're sitting. Um, So for me, I'm looking at this movie from a lens of having seen it several times, watching it, I think, the first time in high school, um, so this, you know, this is probably my fifth or sixth time, like sitting down and watching it. I know what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not thinking really about the plot. I'm not, I'm not so much concerned with the, the, the minor like ups and downs of, of how I'm feeling individually each time, but I am looking at it in, in a, like a finer detail of seeing how this sort of reflects in what I know of Wilder's other um, other works and sort of this this through line of how he writes a scene or how he um, you know makes these characters uh, alive in a certain way um, and I think I think there's something to be said about revisiting movies um, over time and and kind of readjusting your viewpoint on them. Um, so, you know, with that, I'm not going to say that you should go back and watch all of the movies that we've watched on the show. Um, but I am, you know, slightly suggesting that there, there is some value of rewatching a movie. Um, maybe not to the average casual viewer, but if you really are trying to get something deeper out of something, if you're trying to squeeze something out of, um, you know, something that you, you already know, uh, rewatching a movie over and over again is a good way to do that and is a good way to get maybe not just the sort of plot points of the movie, but really get into the nitty gritty and the finer details and studying a film in that way. So I'm not going to recommend everybody do that. Obviously it's not necessary and you could perfectly enjoy a movie that you've only seen once. Um, but I think there is something interesting about seeing how you react to a movie um, after seeing it many times. Do you have those movies that you've seen over and over again? I think everybody has has movies like that, but I will say before doing this show, I was pretty heavily against re-watching <laughs> movies because I felt like... Yeah my list of films was so large like to catch up on. Um, but there are plenty of, of movies that I have watched where multiple viewings has changed my opinion on what I thought maybe was once very, you know, excellently put together or, you know, an emotional fuel ride slowly kind of wanes in a second or third viewing um, versus other films where I think so much context and layering happens. I think a good example for a casual audience would be like I've said this multiple times, but you're you should watch Dune twice. I really do believe that. I don't think you'll get the first experience is very different than the second, um, or at least that's how I felt. I think I've seen that movie four times now, and most viewings I've really enjoyed. Um, I think the only fear with doing the um, the second viewing is like sometimes there's this emotional experience that can't be topped uh i i 
used to before doing this show really regard the movie drive as like one of my favorites every review watching of that movie like has me appreciating aspects of the film that i hadn't noticed before but i think actually over time the emotional <laughs> kind of side of that movie yeah. has begun to like really go away i don't think there's like the same nostalgia or um kind of like I don't know, like there's like a factor in that movie the first time I watched it that made me want to cry. And I don't feel that at all when I watch the movie now. Right. Um, and I just so I, I, I don't know, like I think it's this is a complex topic. Um, there are also other movies where I don't think you need to sit and torture yourself for multiple viewings. You'll be scarred enough. Um, but I think a movie like this really really is like one of those films where it's like, yes, like you could totally go back and get more. It's like one of those movies that you could totally sit and feel like kind of neutral on and revisit it and find a lot more with it. I think it's hard to gauge. Maybe if there's kind of conversation around the film or podcast, I think that's what like kind of like outside media reviews can like drive you to revisit something that happens to me all the time when I'm, yeah. uh, when I'm like trying to, really chew on on something or like or it was like what did i miss there like i want to listen to something about that you know um well i will say just to pause you for a second i will say that is an interesting point in that um a lot of films you don't feel the same emotion um you know over and over and over again because you know some things hit you less over time and i think it actually takes a really special film to feel the same way about the first time as you do the, you know, very last time you you've seen it. And, you know, I, I, I know for a fact that there are movies like that for me where no matter how many times <laughs> I see it, you know, I still get choked up on, or, you know, there's like, there's just the same emotional feel. I think, I think probably return of the King is one of those movies mm, um, yeah. for me where it's like, I don't care how many times I've seen it. It, it still hits me in the same way. Um, I think her is probably one of those movies, Eternal Sunshine, which we talked about last time. Yep. So like, yep. there are these movies where no matter how many times you watch them, the emotion is so baked into the experience that you feel it every time. Um, I don't think this is that movie, but this is a movie that, kind of oppositely, um, the more you watch this movie, the more you sit with it, and the more you feel it, the more, um maybe not the emotion or maybe you don't feel an emotion necessarily from it, but the more you can kind of learn from it or experience from it. Um, and I think that's kind of a special movie too. So I think those are kind of things that you have to gauge when you are revisiting movie. Um, and I think that conversation is an interesting one for me as someone who has spent a lot of time rewatching movies that maybe I don't even really like. Um, Cause uh, you know, not for fun, but sometimes I'm forced to revisit movies that I <laughs> disliked the first time and that I disliked every time after that. Um, but it is an interesting way of kind of readjusting your perception. And I, you know, I think we kind of talked about it when we talked about Jennifer's body, if you remember, um, where the first time I watched it, I, I really didn't like it. And I, I kind of 
was put off by some of the campy elements and, and maybe even just the framing of how we watched it in class. Um, but then when I watched it with you, I was, I was really charmed by it instead. Um, and I think, I think there's something to that where your expectations can adjust, um, when you revisit a movie that you maybe didn't like the first time. Um, yeah, so definitely. I don't know where or if I have a great example of like a movie that really shifted on a second viewing. I don't feel like my opinion of this film like drastically changed on this viewing. Um I think reflecting on it for a, for a decent chunk of time gave me more time to like come around to it. I noticed that's been my experience with this podcast is that my processing time for a movie has shortened mm-hmm. in a lot of ways um with more simple movies like i would say like something like um if i went to go see a star wars movie right i would leave the theater before doing the show and like like i remember some of my first like the first time i saw the force awakens i left with my brother it was before i knew too much about movies but i thought i knew more and I was like, that's that was so much to take in emotionally. Like, I just need to go to bed and wake up in the morning and think, like, what it is. Now, like, when I leave, like, kind of a more simple, like, fun movie like that, I'll walk out and be like, yep, like, how I feel is how I feel. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm able to, like, kind of process that quicker. Whereas a more complex movie, um, something like Playtime, that's a film that took me some time to, like, come to terms with. And even though, like, fresh off the heels of it. I wasn't as in love with it. Um, I think reflecting on it, our own conversation about it, uh, then doing like having a little bit of that, like that, that worm in the brain where I'm like, I can, I'm going to read a little bit about this movie, you know, like, and yeah. start like kind of digging into it. Um, like there, there is something changed about the way that I've process, I process films now. Um, yeah, the reviewing thing is, uh, it's difficult because I know there's so much to watch out there. There's so much to, to, to like to see, but I have to say like, we've watched a lot of great movies on this podcast and some of them you should watch more than once. Um, as a matter of fact, you should sacrifice watching new things to watch them again. <laughs> sure. Uh, I, I would go far out of my way to, to rewatch some of these movies then. Uh, go be disappointed by another <laughs> film in the theaters, right? Yeah. Well, I want to say, I want to kind of, I guess, conclude our conversation on Sunset Boulevard with talking about a film, or I guess maybe transitioning into something that we will hopefully get to view um, this upcoming month. We are planning to do maybe like a little bit of a retrospective on 2022. Um look at some movies and hopefully we'll, you know, we'll talk about what the list is going to be, but there's one movie that really comes to mind that I think is so, um, evocative of Sunset Boulevard in a way that I hadn't thought of when I first watched the movie, but now is just like dripping with the same sort of symbolism and, um, life and kind of, uh, criticism and hatred but love of of hollywood at the same time 
Um, and that's that's Babylon, um, which I talked about a little bit. Um, and I'm really curious. I don't know. You know, I'll, I'll have to work up to convincing you to to watch this movie, probably. But um, but I'm I'm really curious about what you would think about this movie, especially in context of you hating movies about Hollywood. Um, and in some ways, I also am kind of tired of that conversation. But in some ways, there is some. Uh, you know, I don't know. There's there's some value in that. Um, and also being both of us being fans of, of Damien Chazelle and, um, you know, kind of having that. Who? Who is that? You you don't like Damien Chazelle? <laughs> I, I couldn't even tell you. Like, Whiplash. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I do like Whiplash. Um, nice yeah. and cynical. Um, yeah. So so I'm I'm. I'm interested in seeing your your take on Babylon because I think I think the parallels are like so um, so they're you know they're there. Also, interestingly, this is a Paramount movie as well. Babylon is, um, and it takes place on the lot. You know, and there's there's a lot of those same same elements or similar Paramount's elements. Emo. Yeah, they Paramount's they emo. they've got a lot of self hatred. Um, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> I don't know. All their employees. Are getting greenlit films from HR. And yeah, all the execs are like, why? Um, no, I, I, I gotta be honest. The second I saw the Babylon like trailers, I was like, count me out. That I know. looks like absolute something I would hate to watch. I think it is. Um, I think it might be something that you will hate, uh, which is why I'm interested yeah. in in having you watch it. But um, yeah, I just I don't know. You know, like it's. It looked like a lot less fun version of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And like the the marketing is kind of like thrown in that like great Gatsby slash Once Upon a Time. Like, wow, like look at this. And I was just like, I just don't care. Like, I just really don't care. <laughs> I don't want to watch it. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I'd have to. I just need to be in the right mindset. And I'll tell you, on a Monday like this, I ain't in the right mindset. So. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I don't want to hear it. You know, no, I don't really yeah. uh, want to give it a chance. But um, do we watch any other Damien Chazelle movies? I feel like we must have. Um, did we watch First Man together? Yeah, yeah. I actually, I did like First Man a lot. Yeah, First Man's great. Um, and then did did you end up watching um, La La Land? Did you ever see that? Yes. Yeah, I. La La Land is one of those movies that I start. And I never finish. I just like I, like I just have. I'm so uninterested. Like, yeah, in yeah. It. That movie and um, the one with like Steve Carell, uh, what like love is complicated. Love sucks or something. Eat, pray, love. Whatever the heck <laughs> it is. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't know what the, movie that those is, two but... get blended together very quickly in my mind. I don't know why. What is that? What is that? Love actually, love uh, for lo- crazy stupid love. That's yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> but um, whatever, that's so funny. Well, yeah, I mean, interestingly, um, Babylon flopped so hard um, and is never going to make the money that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that that uh was in the budget but um i don't know i'm i'm interested i'm curious to see what you have to think about it we don't have to do it this month obviously but uh because it is a three-hour movie 
Yeah. Um, but uh, but it is one that I think is up there for me on on 2022 um, in in the best in the running. So um, yeah, yeah, up to you. But I'm I'm interested in your take. I think you'll hate it, but. Yeah, I do hear that um, Tobey Maguire has a great role as the devil. Oh, he's amazing. He's so funny. <laughs> I mean, any anything for Toby, you know. Like I got, I gotta say, I I I love that guy. Everyone's. Ca- I'll I'll just say this: everyone's character is is insane and hilarious. And there's the thing about the movie that as as much as the as it's three hours and it's excessive and there's a lot of um, over the top with the movie um it is absolutely shockingly fun um and just energetic the filmmaking is you know it it's like a train ride that goes one way you know it's it's really it's insanely fast paced and fun so i don't think it's a boring movie at all um your your but. review is exact like if i had an ai write the review for babylon that's exactly <laughs> what i thought it would say you know like just what a what an exciting and thrilling you know ride through a wild you know okay yeah well what do you expect you know i just <laughs> you see the the trailer there's parties in the old L- the good old days the good old day parties you know <laughs> i'm just like okay um. Yeah, sorry. I'm <laughs> I'm just so uninterested in it. I'm not sure why. Um, but you know, shout out, shout out to my guy Toby. You know, <laughs> that's my Spider Man. <laughs> Although I will say he he is great in uh, Great Gatsby. I do think he's excellent in that movie. Um, like I don't think you could have cast a better character for that book. Mm. Um, like he 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 totally nails it. Um, okay. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to dive into 2022. I don't think I have a lot of movies that I've seen. I know a lot of people have talked about everything all at once, everywhere, all over the place. Um, I, I, I don't know very much about that. I think there's a couple of horror movies that you wanted me to watch. Barbarian is the one I'm thinking of. Yeah. Um, but there's, I think there's, a co- were there other A24 movies that came out that were like, I thought there was one more. That was um, kind of- I'm not sure. But um, I mean, I think the other ones, to be honest, I have not really um, watched a ton of 2022 movies. So I'm going to need to, um, you know, watch a, a couple, a couple more. Um, but, you know, Tar, I really loved. Uh, the Fablemans, I really loved. Um so, you know, there's there's a handful. There, it's been a long year actually, um, and kind of a good year for for films. So, um, I don't know. We'll have to go over what what we think is is the most appropriate, and we'll probably talk about it with Juzo a little bit because he's seen a lot more a lot yeah. more movies than both of us. Um, I'm telling you, we got to put Puss in Boots on that list. Yeah, you know? is that technically 2022? Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. All right. Um, I, I, I hear gotta see a good animated movie. So like, I hear Del Toro's pa- animated movie? Pinocchio is really good too. Um, oh. That's what I heard. But yeah, that sounds like something I want to watch. Tell me, <laughs> who would think that they wanted to make a movie? Like why? You know, I don't know. I hear it's great. So 
I just sounds so stupid. I mean, I just <laughs> why? I'm just grumpy. I'm like, where are the good i like where are the where are the great ideas? You know? Everything's content, content, content. Where are like the great <laughs> ideas, Cameron? I, yeah, I wanna I see know. it. I wanna see something that's not based on a pre existing IP. I wanna I wanna watch I wanna watch a new adventure movie. Like why aren't there like where's like Well, the did you adventure? see the Northman? Yeah, I did. And that was not very adventurous at all. <laughs> that was very drab, is how I'd put it. Did you see men okay? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. I don't even know. I've never even heard of that. So <laughs> what am I supposed to say? Yes? Or well, no okay, or but I'm just saying, you know, there there's some that you didn't see. Some that are not based on 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 previous you saw Nope. You like Nope. I love Nope. And finally, something exciting, you know? <laughs> like <laughs> I just you know, it's I'm shocked. We have so many great ideas out there and nobody's making anything that Nah, I disagree. <laughs> I Here, don't think I'm there's... just gonna give you a great idea. Just like find something in a history book and either write an alternate history or just put it in some sci fi location and just re recreate it. <laughs> you know? And then you got a great movie right there. How's that not based on an on a previous idea? I'm just saying, like, okay, let's say you take, you know, the assassination that started World War One, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, you you take a situation like that, you know, you either do something about people who are time traveling, trying to affect the outcome of all of history or something <laughs> like that, or, you know, like, just, just, just come up with an idea, you know? Like, it can't be that hard. <laughs> They're doing so many drugs in L.A. They have to have something. Right? I'm just saying the fact that they, um, the fact that movies that are based on on, or you know that aren't IP that aren't like part of the Marvel MCU or whatever, um, uh, they bomb. So you know what what does that tell? That that means the audiences don't want to watch that. So. I think you're right. I can tell you something. Did Nope bomb? Um, no. It's because it actually looked exciting. It did All okay. Right. It did okay. I mean, it did pretty good. I feel like, yeah, like we can do, we can do some. You know what's? You know why we don't have more movies like that? Because it's hard, and it's risky. Sure. Yeah. But like, man, you know what? It's time for me to direct a movie, Cameron. That's All right, what I do think. it. You know, <laughs> self-funded. Gotta... <laughs> no funding, no experience. Let me have a crack at it. Hey, people you know? have done that before. <laughs> yeah, they seem to be giving out movies to anyone with a bad idea. Why not just take a chance on somebody that has a decent idea? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. You're you know? like you're you're like um, you're like this this guy in. Uh... In the movie we just watched, <laughs> literally, is the is the time traveling stopping of an assassination not one of the most interesting pitches you've heard? I just you got to tie I it together. Up, I, I came I came up with that in like two seconds. That was I like think nothing. it's I think it, it'd yeah. be better if you did like a Dune style. Um, you know, you got the the three empires, um, and then and then a a rebel planet, 
uh, they assassinate, you know, one of the one of the princes, and it starts this crazy meltdown war of all the different uh, planets, and they, you know, everybody everybody goes crazy. The the colonies are taking over other colony. You know, why don't you just do that? Right, World War One into um, a space opera. Even better. That's too expensive and too much CGI. <laughs> Write the story of World War One in a neighborhood with kids and water guns. Mm, all right, there you go. Okay. That would be a great plot, all right? But someone's got a real gun. <laughs> <laughs> no. It went too far that summer afternoon when Jimmy broke into his dad's face. I mean, come on, you know? Like, that would be, that oh, would be no. crazy. That would be a crazy idea, right? Um, there we go. That's just free content for you guys. Free. And I don't know if we'll ever make a movie. Cameron, if we ever made a movie together, that would probably be a legendary movie that would just absolutely shatter our friendship and we never talk to each other ever again. You think so? And then you'd probably make 12 more movies reflecting on how Hollywood killed your friendship with a co-host. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I, think, I, I don't understand why that would be the case. I don't know. We've shot a short film together. Did we? At your house, Yeah. I don't even remember. What did we oh, shoot? no, it was at JD's house. That's right. Yeah. I still don't remember what we would shoot. I don't know. It was like something. I think JD did it. I just I just held the camera. It was kind of, you know, we made you dress in your underwear. It was a little, it was like one of those <laughs> movies. <laughs> I, I don't remember this at all. I have no recollection of what you're you talking about. I think you spit on the camera at one point. St- I still have no recollection of this. Okay. <laughs> wow. It's a very wow. suggest. What I just said is very suggestive. But I just want everybody was this something to know. that he filmed and like showed in front of the school? Um, it was probably in class. I don't know. JD might have it still. Wow, I'd be impressed to watch that. That would be, that'd be wild if I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we're gonna wrap it up, guys. We post every Tuesday. You can listen to the show on your. You know how to because you're listening to it. Um, and we will see you next week with some more movie reviews. We will not be reviewing a movie that we have already watched, I promise. But I thought we had a good conversation for what I it was. I think so, too. Um, if you don't know anything about Sunset Boulevard, we have the original episode posted somewhere. Um, should be on the service you're listening to on it now, right? Unless something's whack with Spotify. Oh, but yeah. Spotify weird. has some weird issues going on on the back end. But, um, but if you're listening on Apple, then it's there. Yep. All right. Well, until next week, you guys have a good one and watch more movies. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast that is fully funded on Patreon.com. Shout out to our producers, Darren O'Neill, for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. If you want to learn more about the benefits you can get, check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.